Hello all you film enthusiasts, casual moviegoers, and anyone in between. Welcome to Cult Following Film Reviews, the show that takes a deep dive into some of the strangest and most beloved films to fall outside of the mainstream. I'm your host, Kelsey Bertner, and I'm here to guide you through the weird and wonderful world that is cult films. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 2 of Cult Following Film Review. Thank you so much for tuning back in, and if you're new here, welcome to the party. Today we're going to be talking about one of my personal favorite cult classics from a more recent year. So this movie is from 2010, which was 11 years ago at this point, and that still makes me feel really old, but it's definitely more recent by the standards of, you know, other films. Anyways, so we will be talking today about Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. As always, there will be spoilers in this episode, so if that's something that you want to avoid, this is your official warning. So, directed by Edgar Wright, who is known for movies such as Shaun of the Dead and Baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim takes the beloved graphic novel series by Brian Lee O'Malley that already had a bit of a cult following itself and adapts it into a live-action adventure. We follow the story of our protagonist, Scott Pilgrim, as he struggles with, you know, the usual young adult things. His love life, his band rehearsals, and, you know, fighting the seven evil exes of the manic pixie dream girl he is so desperately pining over. Okay, so maybe it isn't exactly normal. Most of the story revolves around Scott and his love interest, Ramona Flowers, who is a mysterious girl from America who moved to Toronto, Canada, which is where this is set and has a trail of lovers seeking revenge on her for dumping them in one way or another. This league of evil exes, so to speak, is headed by Gideon Graves, and he's a wealthy music producer and basically a self-centered control freak and abuser who wants to ruin Scott and take Ramona back for himself by any means necessary, including but not limited to uh, bribing his band and uh, mind control and... Full-on murder, actually. He does commit murder. So nothing's off the table for this guy. So Scott, when he finds out that he has to defeat all of these exes in order for him to date Ramona, he decides to go on this quest to defeat them all and win her heart in the process while still juggling band practice with his indie garage band called the Sex Bobombs and trying to avoid the high school girl that he just recently broke up with to pursue Ramona. And I should also mention that uh, Scott is 23, so the high school thing is even weirder. So I absolutely love this movie for so many reasons. One of them being that it plays out a lot like a video game, like a retro video game. So Scott basically gets coins for each ex he defeats when he fights them, like he has actual combat. So he'll fight them, and when he defeats them, or kills them, technically, they don't explode or like have any sort of carnage. It's not graphic in any means. There's no blood, there's no real signs of violence, not even like bruises or anything. But when they die, they just kind of burst open and then all these coins fall to the ground. And the first time Scott sees it, he's like, oh look, coins, and he like starts picking them up. So like, it's kind of like Mario in that sense that like when you defeat an enemy or like jump on a box or something, you get, a reward of coins 
So there's that. He gets a one-up extra life at the very end, um, because Gideon ends up killing him. Spoiler alert. Um, and <laughs> he comes back because he had this extra life saved from earlier, which is very funny to me. Uh, and not only that, but not one, but two flaming swords pop out of this man's chest at the end so he can fight Gideon. One of them being earned because of the power of love, and one of them being earned because of the power of self-respect. And it's really funny to me because... So there's these swords, and they just, like, protrude from his chest, and there's this big, loud, booming announcer voice that sounds very much like the announcer for, like, Mortal Kombat or something, and just goes, Scott gained the power of self-respect, or something to that effect. And he just has this weapon now, and he can use it. It's like, it's been unlocked. So, like, he unlocked this new achievement. Uh, like I said, there's mind control involved. Um, Gideon has a chip implanted in Ramona's neck to keep her being subservient to him, I guess is the right word. And it's really fucked up. I know it's fucked up, but that is what happens. You can even see the port, like, in the back of her neck in certain end scenes there. And like I said, all the fighting scenes are, like, super cartoonish, but, like, still very action-packed. Like, there's people floating in the air. One of the exes in the very beginning, like, bursts through a wall, and he's, like, floating, and there's these, like, demon angel things floating around him, and he's just, like, singing and floating around, and they, like, fight each other in the air. And it's, it's very outlandish. It's very ridiculous. But it's so much fun to watch, and it's so well choreographed and fast-moving. The the camera work is so good. The the way that Edgar Wright is able to capture how it feels to read a graphic novel by like separating things out into panels when you see it on the screen, or like doing close-ups on the characters' faces and then them splitting into those panels, or just the different effects that are used. Um, it's just it's just incredible. Like you really feel like you're watching like a video game but with real people or like reading a comic book with like the bams and pows and all sorts of things it's it's amazing like i really really admire that he went all out without making it ridiculous because it's very easy to make a concept like that seem really really silly and he didn't and i think it's really cool but there are some things that are like you know not so great not about, like, the movie itself, more so about the characters, one character in particular, which happens to be our main character, Scott. Um, so let's break this down a little bit. First of all, Scott is an asshole. Like, he's just a terrible person. And I will never ever say that he's not a terrible person. He's a cool character, like, he's fun to watch. And Michael Sarah does such a good job at, like, portraying that awkwardness of this young man who's, like, caught in this love triangle of his own doing and caught in all of these different problems that he's pretty much set up for himself. And he just brings that character to life in such a way that's, like, very entertaining to watch. So, he's a fun character. Like, Scott is a very interesting character to me. But he is definitely an asshole. Like... He dates a high schooler, her name's Knives Chow, and he breaks up with her because he basically loses interest in her when Ramona comes around. And first of all, he's 23 dating a high schooler. That's a little scummy. That's a little creepy. 
Uh, but the fact that he dates her and then immediately drops her when this new girl comes in is like, that's a new level of scummy. And not only that, but he lies to Ramona about knives for the entire movie until the end when he finally tells the both of them at the same time that he had cheated on both of them with each other, which is just levels upon levels of awful. Uh, he's not looking too great. Like, this isn't the type of guy that you would bring home to your parents type of situation. I mean, he's unemployed and he lives with his roommate Wallace in, like, a tiny little house where they share a bed. Like, he's not really a real catch. Um, he also makes comments about Ramona's dating life throughout the time when he's, like, meeting these exes and having to fight them. One of them that really is really funny to me, like, in retrospect, like, I always laugh at this line, but, like, it's kind of, kind of awful. But he makes a comment, uh, one of Ramona's exes, her name is Roxy, uh, she's the only female ex, but Ramona makes a point throughout the entire movie to say exes, and Scott will always say, oh, your ex-boyfriends, and she'll say, no, exes. And we never really understand what that means. I mean, you can kind of grasp the concept of it, that, like, you know, maybe they're not all guys. But Scott is just completely clueless, just goes right over his head. He describes Ramona being bi-curious and dating Roxy as having a sexy phase and, like, fetishizing the whole women-loving-women thing. And that's kind of gross. <laughs> I mean, it's really gross. So, like, it's played for comedy, and you're not supposed to, like, take it seriously. I know that. It is definitely scummy and kind of adds to the checklist of why Scott is not a very good person. Um, and on top of all that, because of this long dating history, he, like, flips out on Ramona for this. Even though he's done some shitty things in his own love life, and it results in them breaking up at, like, the climax of the movie. And it's just... He's just not great. He's not great by any standard, and that needs to be known. But, like, I really do enjoy watching Michael Sarah's performance as Scott. I don't really think anyone else could have done him that kind of justice. He's just too perfect for it. It's, it's really, really well done. He captures just how awkward and terrible this person is, while also making you still want to root for him. Which is the point, like, you, by the end, you still want to root for Scott. So you have to balance that fine line of, oh, this man is an asshole. I would never want to be associated with someone like this. To, oh, he's also our hero. He's our protagonist. He's the one we're rooting for in the end to get the girl and save the day. And learn and grow and do all these cool things. And he has some pretty great lines, like, at least he's not like a full-on incel by any standard. Um, there's a part that I absolutely love where they're at a party and uh, he sees Ramona for like the first time. I mean, he had seen her a little bit before this, but he sees her at the party. And he goes up to her and they're both up against this wall and he looks at her and decides that the best pickup line he could come up with is to say, did you know Pac-Man was originally called Puck-Man? Not because he was shaped like a hockey puck, but because paku paku means, like, to flap your mouth in Japanese. And he just goes off about this. Like, he's just 
fully committed to this Pathion bit, and I just absolutely love it so much. It's so funny to me. Um, I was actually, this is a little side anecdote for, for all you people out there, uh, I dressed as Ramona Flowers one year for Halloween, and someone came up to me at a party and said this to me verbatim, and it was the funniest thing ever. I just, I really appreciated it, and it was pretty great. So, it's, a, it's, it's just full of, like, funny little one-lines like that. There's a part where Knives comes to, like, check on Scott, and Wallace answers the door, and he's like, you know what? He just left, and you see in the background Scott dive out the window behind him. It's just, there's so much happening, and it's just really, really funny. Like, it'll definitely tickle the humor of, like, someone who likes slapstick while also still kind of catering to people who are like, oh, I like more sophisticated comedy. Like, it's it's definitely more lighthearted. Like, you're not going into this with the expectation of, like, anything super satirical or anything like that. But it's definitely a good time. Um, his his band, the Sex Bombs, they're they're great. I mean, they have a song called Garbage Truck. They're they're your stereotypical indie band that like practices in your mom's basement type deal. And they do like battle of the bands and it's just they write these songs and like Knives is really the only person who's like their biggest fan. And it just feels a lot like, you know, those those bands around here that are like, oh, listen to my SoundCloud. Like, not in a bad way. Like, some of them are, like, super great. But, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's it's definitely playing off of that joke of, oh, they're just a garage band. So, there's just a lot to love about this movie, even if the main character is pretty awful in a lot of senses. Now, I want to take the remainder of this time to talk about my favorite character, which is very stereotypical, but Ramona. And I think Ramona is an interesting character while also fitting so perfectly into the manic pixie dream girl trope. Like, she is just... She checks all the boxes. Like, when you think Manic Pixie Dream Girl, after thinking of Zoe Deschanel, you would think of Ramona Flowers. Like, without a doubt. She's got, like, the colorful, weird hair that's, like, cut in a, a different style than you would traditionally see. Uh, she wears unconventional-type clothing. Like, she has goggles on her head all the time. Uh, her hair changes, like... She actually says this. She's like, my hair changes every week and a half. And she dyes it like three different colors throughout the movie. Um, she goes around on roller skates everywhere. She drink, like, drinks a lot of tea. That's, a, that's another good scene where she names like 20 different types of tea. And she genuinely just seems very like blasé about a lot of things. Like everything is just so matter-of-factly to her. And it doesn't seem to phase her. Which I guess makes sense, because like if you're dealing with this League of Villains type situation with all of your ex-partners, you might also be kind of blasé about everything. So, she definitely fits this trope so well. And uh, I guess I should clarify. I've been saying the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope a lot, 
and some of you might not know what that means. The quote official unquote definition that I could find was um, a manic pixie dream girl is a type of female character often depicted as whimsical, quirky, sometimes eccentric, and a fantasy woman who saves the male protagonist from himself. She usually aids in his transformation without ever really showing any real agency of her own. And Ramona just does that to a T. Like, she basically exists in this movie so that Scott has a reason to grow as a person. And she aids very much in his transformation, though it might not seem like a huge one, but again, there's those swords at the end that tell him how he's, like, gaining the power of love and self-respect. So none of that would have happened if Ramona had not been there. She is the main catalyst for everything that happens to Scott throughout the entire movie. And on top of that, she is definitely considered quirky. A lot of people would say that she fits that stereotypical I'm not like other girls type vibe. Um, and, you know, she's different from everyone around her, but like seems very confident and self-aware that she is different. I don't know. I really like her personally. A lot of people will get into the argument that she is just as bad, if not worse, than Scott because of her past trail of lovers and not really seeming to have a concrete reason why she broke up with some of them. But if you watch the film, you'll see that she does have her reasons and she gives the backstory for why she broke up with all of them. And we come to see kind of how terrible they all are anyway, so I feel like she's very justified in having broken up with all these people, but everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people say that she's like sleeping around or she's just jumping from person to person. And I don't think that's true at all. I think everything that she does in her love life is very justified, especially because the one who's the big bad ex of them all is super abusive and super controlling and really just terrible to her and everyone around her. So the fact that all these people even joined up with him really says something more about their character than his. Um, so yeah, she might be, quote, not like other girls, unquote, and she might roll around on rollerblades and uh, talk in a very monotone voice and be very upfront about things and very quick and short, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. There's a lot of stigma surrounding the manic pixie dream girl trope, and while I can see how it got there, absolutely, because, you know, it's just become a meme at this point. Like, I keep saying the not like other girls type thing, and everyone's like, oh, you're gonna have someone who carries around a typewriter or, like, specifically writes on the back of shop and save flyers because she wants to be different or quirky or something to that effect. Like, yeah, it's definitely a joke at this point, and it's pretty overplayed in a lot of situations. And in some cases, this, this trope is very much like a more alternative Mary Sue, uh, where a girl might insert herself as this character because 
she doesn't identify with the standard of the traditional beautiful love interest. She identifies more with this, like, mysterious oddball of a girl. And that really hits home for a lot of people. And while, yeah, it can be rough and the Manic Pixie Dream Girl is pretty much just existing for the male gaze and to further the plot of the male, which is really, really awful. Like, I'm not denying it. Like, this this trope is kind of bad. But I think if it were reclaimed by people who really connect with that sort of outsider but wanting to express themselves type of vibe, I think it could be something really cool. There are so many people out there who really do love Ramona as a character, but she doesn't really have a whole lot of depth going for her. And that's where like online forums and stuff will come in and say like different tropes and traits that they would like to see in her or they make up stories and come up with things that they think she would do or that she would say or how she would act. And even if it's not necessarily canonical, it kind of takes back that power that the male gaze kind of has over that Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope, which I think is really cool. Plus, the aesthetic, at least in my opinion, is always really, really fun to see on a character like that, whether it's just, you know, nerd glasses and dark hair or someone like Ramona who changes her hair every week and a half and wears super colorful clothing and layers and t uh, purple tights, just anything like that. Like, I think that's really fun and fashion like that is kind of catching on again. So it might inspire other girls and not even girls, anybody in general who wants to dress in a way that they feel truly represents them. It might empower them to want to do that more. It definitely needs an overhaul. The Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope is definitely sexist. It's incredibly sexist. And it needs a lot of work, but it could also still be fun and you can still reclaim it and have a good time with it and just make it your own. Like, I joke about it a lot because I change my hair color a lot and I wear lots of baggy t-shirts and all sorts of stuff like that. And I have made the joke multiple times that I'm not like other girls or whatever. And I've called myself a manic pixie dream girl in some situations as a joke. Like, I think it's funny. So I think there's a way to reclaim it and sort of take away that sexist power that, like, is holding on to it and has been since this trope came about. And that's why I think Ramona is a very important character. The story really wouldn't have happened without her in it. So she's very important, but there really isn't much to her when you look at it. And I think that that's good and bad in certain situations. Okay, so that's enough of my rambling about Ramona and Scott and everything about this movie. It's now time for my film recommendation of the day. Today's recommendation might not seem like it fits with the theme of today's episode, but I promise it does, because this film has another one of the most recognizable Manic Pixie Dream Girls in recent cinema history. If you haven't already, you should really check out Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It stars Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, 
And don't be fooled, because uh, while Jim Carrey is the male lead in this film, it's not a comedy that you would associate with him. It's not something that's funny and wacky and over the top. It's actually very profound and very sad. Like, I sobbed, and I don't cry during movies. This is, like, one of the few films that has openly made me weep like a child. In the best way. Like, the ending is really, really touching and good, but also really bittersweet, depending on how you read into it. And there's so many little details about it that are just so good. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So, this movie follows uh, Jim Carrey's character, Joel Barish, after he finds out that his girlfriend Clementine, played by Kate Winslet, underwent an experimental procedure to have all of her memories of him erased out of her mind. And he's absolutely outraged. So he decides to undergo the procedure himself, and in the process, he ends up getting to relive all of these memories of their relationship, both the good and the bad. And this movie is just so incredibly clever. There are so many, like, tiny little details that you might not pick up on the first time you watch it, but it's totally worth, like, a second or a third watch through, definitely to see what you missed the first time around. It's just so incredibly made. Everything is very smart about it, while also being incredibly sad and just bittersweet. And I love it very much, and Clementine is a great example of another Manic Pixie Dream Girl, absolutely by the book. And she even also changes her hair color a few times, so we got that in common with Ramona. But I promise you this movie is gonna need you to have your tissues nearby, in arm's reach, and it's definitely worth checking out. It's one of my all-time favorites, and I would love to hear from you guys if you end up watching it, because I would just like to start that conversation and see what other people have to think about it. Thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of Cult Following Film Reviews. If you like what you heard, please consider following the podcast so that you know when new episodes go up. Do you have a cult film that you really love and want me to cover on the show? Email it to me at cultfollowingfilmreviews at gmail.com. Until next time, stay weird, film fans. <laughs>